our kid that goes to Kingdom Club, you can head out now. Uh, tell your parents as you're leaving to turn their cell phone ringer down. That would be helpful too. So, or just take their phone. That would also be great. They don't need it. They're not, what are they going to do with their phone during the service? Um, the little note about the foster kids that Jordan and Lindsay got. Jordan scheduled his week-long trip away after he found out they were getting foster kids this week. So might talk to him about that. No, that's not true. Just kidding. It was a kind of a semi-emergency situation. So we're just really grateful that they were part, uh, here and available. Uh, but definitely want to offer a lot of uh, prayers for them. All right, so uh, we are in the very last week of this series that we've been preaching through called You're Not Perfect, But, and I think this is a good message, because if you feel like you're perfect, I'm telling you, you're not perfect. And if you feel like you're not perfect, I'm, I'm reaffirming that. You're not perfect, but l- there's more to it. And what we've been talking about is we've been talking about the idea that we as Christians are in Christ. People who believe, people who follow, people who have been baptized, clothe themselves with Christ. We are in Christ. So we kind of need to understand what's going on. What, is this, what does this mean? What does this look like? And so the last five weeks, the last four weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be in Christ. And so we're going to wrap that up this morning. As you can imagine, a person in my line of work thinks quite a bit about what makes a great church. The question of what makes a great church. And the, the, the conclusion, or not the conclusion, but the way you try to figure that out. How many of you have ever visited another church and you've like, oh, I like that they do that, or I don't like that they do that, you know, whatever it is. If you're a visitor here today, maybe there's some of those things that you like or don't like. Um, I know that uh, when you're visiting a different church, sometimes it's great. But sometimes it's a little wild, right? It's a little different. You're kind of like, I, I don't know. So, for example, this morning we had greeting time, which is not everybody's favorite time in the world. In fact, some people, if they could like literally come to church after greeting time was over, they would. They just hate it. They just don't want to talk to anybody. Not that they don't like people, but they just don't know what to do with themselves, right? They just stand there. Is somebody going to talk to me? Do I have to talk to somebody? What do I do? What's going on? And it's just a little bit nerve-wracking depending on your personality. Somebody like me who's a little bit more outgoing, I'm fine. I like greeting times at other churches where I don't know anybody. I'm just greeting everybody. Uh, one church didn't just have a greeting time. They had a greeting time, and then later on in the service, they also had a hug time where you're running around the church hugging people. How many of you would like that? Yeah. We got two hands. You guys should meet up after church, all right? That would be great. That would work, work that out. It's funny, you know, like a, a church this far north, we're just, a lot of people just aren't huggers. They just don't know what to do. Hug time. How about we have 15 minutes of hug time? No, thank you. I will find a different church. It's been great for the last 20 years, but I'm moving on now for having hug time. Not going to happen. Or, uh, and this, I don't mean this to be disparaging at all, but sometimes you've been to churches that maybe uh, are formal and, and their kind of services are planned out, and the guy up front will say something and the audience is supposed to say something back, but if you didn't get the script or if you didn't grow up that way, you don't know what to say back, and sometimes the audience is supposed to turn to somebody else in the audience and say something, and that person is supposed to turn to them and say something back, something specific. So I've been to those churches. I don't know. I didn't get the script. I didn't grow up that way. And I'm not, this is not making light of or making fun of, but they'll turn to somebody, uh, peace be with you. And you don't know what to say back. Right back at you, buddy. Like, that's thanks. I don't know. You don't know what to do. If you've not grown up in that environment, you're not necessarily sure what exactly to do. It's a, it's a different experience. One church I went to, the preacher had security guys after church. So he's mingling with the church people and literally has two big beefy guys with earpieces that have security on the front of their shirts walking around with him. Like, why? 
What is this guy preaching about that he has to have security guys with him after services? Like, are people coming up trying to stab him? I hated your sermon so much. I'm going to try to do you harm. I have to have security guys. I don't know. It's just wild to think about. But still trying to figure out what makes a good church. And when I think about that, honestly, I think about that all the time. Like, what makes us? What is it about church? What makes a great church? How do you figure this out? What are the things that you, what are the pieces you try to pull together and make something great? And, and I think the thing, when I really think about this honestly, a lot of time and effort and consideration is spent thinking about what makes a great church on Sunday morning. Like, what does it look like? Are the songs great? Is everybody clapping on the right beat on Lean On Me? Did people know what's going on? Did, uh, did David forget to have the, send the kids out? And did Leon, you know, all those kind of things. We're, what makes a great Sunday morning? But honestly, more than that, I think what makes a great church isn't, isn't something you really can see in a couple hours on a Sunday morning. I think what makes a great church isn't just Sunday morning. It's not what the church is doing on Sunday morning. It's what the church is doing on a Tuesday what are we doing on a Tuesday? And I think answering that question gets us closer to the answer of what makes a great church. What are you doing on a Tuesday? And I thought about our congregation this week. What are we doing on a Tuesday? What's going on on a Tuesday? And so what I tried to do is just try to think of things that I know are happening in this church and I tried to put a time frame on it because I didn't want to just like go back 30 years and 30 years ago this person did this one nice thing and we're just going to pretend that that's still happening. I tried to limit it to the things that are happening just this summer, just in the past couple months. And then I generalized what I'm about to tell you because I didn't get permission from these people to tell you that these things were going on. But I want to read you a list of things that are happening in this church on a Tuesday. And, and you understand I don't mean literally on a Tuesday. I mean during the week, right? All right. Um, so this is stuff that is happening this summer, people in this church. Someone is writing out a check to drop off to help someone else cover some unexpected expenses. That's happening in this church. Somebody in this church is writing a check to give money to somebody else in this church to help them out. Someone's cooking a meal because they signed up to be one of those people that provides a couple weeks of meal train, a couple weeks of meals for someone that just had surgery or has been in the hospital or just moved or whatever it is. So somebody's fixing a meal. Someone is scrolling through the prayer request list on the app and is praying for every single name on that list. Someone is patching holes in the asphalt of the parking lot so that you don't break an axle on Sunday morning coming to church. Someone's doing that on a Tuesday. Someone, a volunteer. Someone's giving up their Tuesday to do that. Someone is sitting down with someone else and having coffee and saying, hey, I remember when I went through that exact same thing. It was really tough. This is what I did. This is how I made it through. Someone is having a Bible study with someone who's exploring their faith. Someone is showing their guest bedroom to someone else because they just moved to the area and they can't get to their apartment till the end of the month. Someone is composing a text because they just realized they hadn't seen this person in a few weeks and is worried that everything's okay. Someone is picking up a phone because they heard that somebody else in church is kind of frustrated and upset with them and they want to reconcile and they want to get to the bottom of whatever's going on. Someone whose kids are grown and out of diapers, just brought in two babies. Not one family, but two families in our church have done that. It's not very anonymous. Sorry about that, Edwards and Tatums. You were done with the diapers. You were done. Now you got diapers again. Someone is driving 60 minutes one way across the cities to give someone else a ride to church. Someone just showed up at a front door because they were asked to provide last-minute babysitting, and they said, yes, absolutely. 
Someone is leaning on a rake, talking to a neighbor, looking for an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about myself. This is not me. I've been the recipient of some of these. These are just things that I'm aware. But these, there's dozens more. But this is the stuff that is happening in the Woodbury Church of Christ on a Tuesday. That's good. You know what that might mean? That might lead one to conclude that we are, and I'm not patting myself on the back, except actually it totally am. We are a great church. Did you know that? You might, I might have needed to tell you that this morning. We are a great church. Did you know that? That's a good thing. And some of you are like, well, hang on a second. I can think of a few problems that I have. I can think of things that I don't like. I don't like your preaching, Patrick, so we could get a better preacher. We could be a better church. Listen, let me just stop you right there. If it had nothing to do with Sunday morning, if you just looked at this church on a Tuesday, you should come to the conclusion, if you're using your brain, this is not about optimism. This is not about looking at the silver lining. This is about looking at people in this congregation. We are a great church. All right. Done. We can go home, right? (laughs) Mission accomplished. But we are a great church. But let me talk about a few things this morning that I think we need to talk about. I think a lot of people are doing wonderful things. But I think there's a lot of us, and I put myself in this category, that are still kind of messing around in the shallow end of faith and service and love for others. And there's more that we could do. There's some of us in this room that aren't even in the pool. We're sitting on the sidelines, arms crossed, because we got some complaints, and we don't know that we want to get involved because this thing I don't like and that thing I don't like. So there's some of us in this room that could be doing more. And I want to tell you something. This is so important, church. I want to tell you something. I think we're a good church. I think we're a great church. I think God can use us to dramatically impact our communities if we are willing to get in the deep end. If we are willing to be the church on a Tuesday. If we are willing to take some steps of faith and do some amazing things that God is calling us to do. How many of you here are glad that people in this church have foster kids? You're glad for that. How many of you are glad that it's not you? Right? We're going to talk about that in a second, too. Aren't you glad people are doing things? And aren't you glad? I'm glad I'm not the one doing that. But what is it that you can do? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. People in this room are leveraging their resources, their time, their effort, their money, their abilities for the good of others. And maybe we should toot our own horns more. Or rather, maybe we should toot other people's horns more. Say, this person is doing great things, and we're glad for them. But we still have people with crucial skills and abilities that aren't fully engaged. And that's what we want to talk about. If you're wondering, does this apply to me? Hopefully you'll know by the end of the message that yes, it does apply to you. <laughs> I'm, not talking about, I'm not talking about certain people in the audience. And some of you are doing wonderful things. And I just listed some of the things that you're doing. And you're like, whoa, I can't do more. I don't have time. I'm changing two diapers now. I thought I was done with diapers. Don't worry about it. But there's places that you can leverage your skills and your abilities and talents to do what God is asking you to do and make an impact. So... Book of Romans, chapter 12. We've been going through this series. We're talking about what it means to be in Christ. And we've been looking at these passages in the book of Romans that use that phrase, in Christ. We are in Christ. We are Christians. We are following him. We are dedicating our lives to him. What does this look like? So Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. There's our phrase, in Christ. Christ, in Christ. So all those things I just described, right? That's something you wouldn't know about a church on a Sunday morning unless somebody got up and told you. 
Those are things you'd have to be around a little bit to find out the quality and character of people, whether it was their relationship with the church, their relationship with God, what's going on. Um, but that's good stuff. Like, if you're sitting on the sidelines and you're thinking, I like that. I like hearing that people are doing good things. I want to get more involved. I want to step a little further in the deep end. I want to swim a little bit with my faith. And you're thinking, all right, where do I start? What do I do? There's more I could do. I know I have bigger, more capacity. In fact, some of you, and listen to me carefully, some of you are feeling purposeless in your spiritual walk with Christ because you know you have greater capacity to serve him than what you're doing right now. You know it. You know there's more that can be done that you can do. There's more that you can give. And I know you're like, well, I, I, okay, yes, in the back of my mind, but I've got plenty going on in my life right now. I'm busy. I'm working overtime. i got things going on. But there's still ways that you can serve God that maybe you're not fully engaged in. And so that's what we want to talk about. So for those of you that are thinking that way, that are thinking, okay, yeah, maybe I want to get a little bit deeper. Maybe I want to go a little bit further. Where do I start? How do I get there? And so in our passage that we're reading today, this, this passage of in Christ, what makes a great church, what's this church doing? Paul says, hey, we are, we are many, we form one body, and this body works together for the good of the community, the good of the world. But where do I start? Where do I fit in? Where's my role? And so we're going to rewind a couple verses in this passage. And I think Paul is going to come out of left field here. Where do we start? Romans chapter 12, let's go back to verse 3. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, if you can jump over there. Romans 12, 3 says this. Paul starts this passage out. He says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So Paul takes this idea of a healthy, functioning, impact-making church, and he connects it to your identity or your personal sense of self-worth. It's a little surprising, right? Wait, he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought in order to be a great church. I can kind of see the connection, but I'm, I mean, the dotted lines are a little faint there. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. The Roman society to, uh, to whom he wrote was brutally divided by class. I mean, they, there was no... Uh, confusion about who was in what class. I mean, we talk about upper class, middle class, upper middle class, lower middle class, all that stuff. But there, it was clear if you lived in Roman society what class you were in. Because, literally, it dictated the things you could wear. You could only wear certain garments if you were in certain classes. You could only have certain names. Only rich people had certain names. So when you met somebody, they could look at you and identify you immediately, what class you belonged in and how they were supposed to interact with you, right? Immediately. It didn't take anything at all. Togas had certain stripes, certain colors. Where you sat uh, at a public event, um, if you see the pictures of the Colosseum in Rome, the rich people sat down near the bottom and the poor people, that's totally different today, right? The poor people sat up in the nosebleeds. But the poor people could not buy a ticket and go down to the rich people section. They had to stay there because of how they were born. I mean, it was a brutally divided society. And this stuff was legally mandated. It wasn't like you, this is just the way society had developed. This was legally mandated. If you were of this class, you could not wear this clothing. You could not have this name. You could not sit in this place. So you can imagine in Rome, a church service looked very different than the rest of society. 
You would walk into a room and people with all different kind of togas were all mixed up together. And somebody would walk in a room and they would be like, whoa, all right, you see what I'm wearing. Where do people like me sit? You can sit wherever you want. It doesn't matter. We don't have pre-assigned seating, right? We don't have pre-assigned seating in the church today, do we? It never, never happens. I, don't, I can't look at the room and see like, oh, they always sit there. They always sit there. But it's not based on your class or your name or the type of toga that you're wearing. That's good. But you can imagine going into a church and it was very different. Somebody of a poorer class might be the one that got up and brought the lesson to all these rich, well-educated people. And you can imagine if you were a visitor in that society how disorienting that was. Because all of a sudden those class distinctions got thrown out. And Paul's saying, don't you dare bring those class distinctions back into church. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Even if society tells you, hey, you're a wonderful, great person, and this is how you should treat people who aren't as wonderful and great as you. Do not do that. But he says, think of yourself with sober judgment. But I think the deal is everybody kind of wants to know how they measure up. We all do this to some degree. All of us. I don't care who you are or how much you, you deny that you do this. You do this. We all want to know how we're doing. How are we doing in life? How am I coming along? How, are, how, is, how is Patrick? How do I figure that out? And the way that we have decided as a culture, as a society to figure that out, and I think the way humans figure that out, is that we compare ourselves to one another. We just compare ourselves to one another. That's how we figure it out. Now some of you are like, oh, I don't do that. Yes, you do. Yeah, you do. You look at other people in your basic age frame station in life, and you're like, how are they doing? Am I doing better? Okay, I feel good. Am I doing worse? Okay, I feel bad. This is what I've noticed that I do. I'll be confessional here too. I, uh, I, I'll look at, I'll like read newspaper articles online. I'll read newspaper articles and I'll see like, you know, a, a, a bio of somebody and they're like, oh, so-and-so and they'll be 39. That's how old I am. They'll be 39 and this person has just finished their fourth PhD. This person has just adopted 12 kids. This, just, this person has just finished their first book and it's on a New York Times bestseller list. And I'm like, this person is the same age as me. Like, they just started a nonprofit. Like, how are they so successful and I'm not successful? And I'll read that and I'll be like, man, I'm not very good. I should go back to school. I should do something more with my life. You know, you'll, you'll, I'll make those kinds of comparisons. Or I will read a newspaper article that says, so-and-so, 39, just sentenced to 14 years in prison for embezzling millions of dollars. And I'll like, oh, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I'm doing all right. I'm not embezzling. I'm not in prison. I have my family. It's, I'm doing okay. If I look at this guy, I'm doing terrible. If I look at this guy, I'm doing okay. It just depends on who I happen to be looking at at a given moment. And that's kind of the way that we operate. It just depends on who we're checking out. But obviously, we're more subtle than that, but we need to know. We need to know this. Comparison is crazy. Comparison is crazy. It is crazy for you to compare yourself to somebody else. Well, then how am I going to know how I'm doing? It's crazy. Let me tell you why it's crazy. How many of you have ever done this? You've been talking with somebody and maybe you got some problems at home. Maybe your relationship with your spouse isn't as good. Maybe you're a little worried about the kids because you don't feel like you're being the best parent you can be. And you're talking with somebody and they say, I'm struggling with my spouse. I'm worried about my kids. I'm not sure I can be the best parent. I'm being the best parent I can be. How many of you have ever, when you heard someone confess that, you thought this thought in your mind? Oh, good. I'm glad it's not just me. Because you looked at somebody who's having problems, and because of their problems, you felt better about your problems. That's a little twisted, right? To be happy that somebody else is having problems too. 
How about this? Uh, when it comes to our marriages, we want to know how we're doing. How do we check out how we're doing? By comparing ourselves to other marriages. Oh, man, they seem so happy. I mean, they're just, they're lots of PDA. I mean, what is the deal with that? My wife and I don't ever PDA. Do you guys know what PDA is? It's a euphemism for public displays of affection. Like, they, wow, they hold hands, you know, or when you see, like, when you see a, a couple that's been married, what seems like many, 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 many years together, and they're walking down the, the sidewalk on an evening walk together, and they're wearing matching t-shirts and holding hands. You're like, how do, how do they get that? How do they get that? Why, why, am, why are me and my spouse not that way? I heard a story about four couples who were all struggling. All four couples were struggling in their marriage, and they went to dinner with one another, and everybody had a good time, and it was all wonderful, and all four couples left thinking, why isn't our marriage as good as those people's marriage? Because they got together, and everybody looked good. There wasn't any knockdown, drag-out fights at the restaurant, and everybody's like, why isn't our relationship as good as their relationship? Comparison is crazy. Comparison is crazy. I know this is hard to believe, but preachers actually do this a little too. Preachers will get together with other preachers in a room, and have conversations, and inevitably, the preachers try to pretend it's not the thing they're thinking, but they inevitably want to know, how big is your church? That's how, how, that's how they, that question comes up all the time. How big is your church? And so preachers will start engaging in a little preacher math. Like, well, I think over the course of the past 20 years, they don't say this part of it, we've probably had a thousand different people walk through the door, so they'll Oh, about a thousand people. And if you show up at their church on a Sunday morning, it'll be about 30 people. But maybe, maybe by some sort of crazy, weird equations. This is why preachers are not good at math, by the way. <laughs> Just FYI, we're not in the same, same boat. But, you know, youth group. How big is your youth group? Oh, well, you know, it's all these qualifiers. Because we want to know how we're doing. And if we can look at somebody else and they have a bigger church, then we feel like, well, maybe we're not doing good enough. Maybe we're not enough. If they have a bigger youth group, maybe we're not enough. Maybe we're not good enough. If they have this program or that program or this other thing, sometimes you, as, as members of a church, will look at another church and be like, why do they have all that cool stuff? Why can't we have that cool stuff? And you'll feel a little self-conscious about your church. How many of you have ever invited somebody to church and you've given them a little preliminary, like, well, hey, if this person gets up to do this, just know they're a little off their rocker, but it'll be okay. We still love them, you know, whatever. Patrick's going to get up to preach, but uh, don't worry. He's, you know, it's fine. You know, how many of you have ever done things like that? Because you look at other churches and you compare your church to their church and you try to figure out how are we doing. Comparison is crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Social media kind of turns this instinct way, 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 way up. But we look at other people's posts. Why do they get so many likes? Why do they have so many followers? Why are they, they always seem so happy. Their kids always seem to match and, and seem happy in their family pictures. Like, they're just walking along the beach. You know, like, why is that? What's wrong with my family? We don't know what happened 10 seconds before that picture was taken, where mom was in their face, and if you do not smile on this picture, I'm going to, you know, we don't know that. We don't see that. Why are they so happy? Why are they so good? I want to I I confess something a little bit dark here. Comparison is crazy. And let me tell you how crazy it is. This is a thought process. I'm letting you in on my mind here. So don't, don't, uh, you know, don't abuse me with this knowledge I'm about to give you. But I remember uh, a fellow minister on social media, somebody I knew, and every post was a crowded room. Every post was happy people. Every post was like people commenting like, oh, that was wonderful. What, that ministry you did, it was all awesome. And I'm looking at these posts and I'm thinking, 
what has he got that I don't got? He's a good-looking guy. He's got a great family. Everything's perfect for him. How does he have all this? Why, is things going, why are things going so well for him? What am I not doing right? Of course, comparison is crazy, but here's where, here's the twist. Here's where it gets dark. And then I start thinking, you know, like, I, what's, his, what's his secret to success? And then I start thinking, what's his secret? What dark thing does he have going on in his life that he's hiding? I bet you he's bankrupt. I have no reason to believe that. I bet you he and his wife don't have a great relationship. I bet you he started another account so he could like his own pictures. I bet you. I have no, no reason to believe any of this. All of that is just completely made up, but it goes to a dark place because I'm comparing myself to someone, which is crazy, and that comparison then turns into judgment. Because that's the inevitable conclusion of comparison is you start to judge people, good or bad. And if you want to feel better, if you see people that are better, you got to bring them down. That's the inevitable conclusion. We're comparing, and comparison is crazy. My comparison lens took something that was good, something that should have been celebrated, and without a single shred of evidence, I started to think dark, judgmental thoughts. Why? Because I wanted to feel better. I wanted to feel better. Comparison is crazy and makes you crazy. Romans 12, 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Do you know what the word sober means there? It means sober. <laughs> no shock, right? But it's the opposite of crazy. He says, don't be crazy. Don't compare yourself to other people. That's crazy. That's crazy talk because you're either going to think you're better or you're going to think you're worse. And nothing is really very helpful. That's not very helpful. Don't be crazy. When we use this lens of comparison, we're being crazy because comparison inevitably leads to judgment. And comparison and judgment become the primary lens through which we view the world. It doesn't discriminate. We just walk through our day comparing and judging, comparing and judging, comparing and judging. What's wrong with them? Why do they have this? Why do they dress like that? Who let them go out of the house looking like that? Comparing and judging, comparing and judging. I would never. They should never. That's ridiculous. Comparing and judging, comparing and judging, and comparing and judging. And that becomes the lens through which we view the world. And social media just ramped that up to 11, right? We look at Facebook. What's wrong with them? How can they hold that political belief? They're a terrible human being because I disagree with them. Why would they share that? Do they realize that if you watch that video all the way to the end, there's something bad at the end? I don't know if they knew that. What's wrong with them? Do they not pay attention to the... Social media just gets us ridiculous. But you know what? Can I, can I take a quick commercial break here? Just quick. I think we need to acknowledge this because we don't talk about this very much in church. This is very important. Judging people is fun. I know you don't want to admit that in church. You're like, I don't know, lightning strikes. No, judging people is fun. It's fun. Do you know, we call it people watching, but do you know when you go to the Mall of America or you go to the State Fair and you people watch, you're not looking for healthy, normal, well-adjusted people. You're like, wow, why in the world? What is going on in that person's head, right? And you don't nudge your spouse to look. Hey, that person looks well-adjusted and normal and healthy, and they look like they put on the right amount of clothes today. You know, look at that crazy person over there, right? Why? Because judging people feels good. It does. And you know what? It makes us feel better about ourselves. Because at least we wouldn't do that. At least we wouldn't wear that. At least we wouldn't behave that way. At least we wouldn't act like that. 
we're fooling ourselves if we think that the comparison judgment lens doesn't start making us pe- treat people differently and ine- ine- inevitably worse. So what about when that comparison judgment lens makes inroads into our church relationships? I can't believe they would do that or think that or say that or believe that. There they go again. Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 5, 4 and 5. For just as each of us has one body with many many members. And these members do not all have the same function, by the way. That's one of the reasons it's really tough to judge people, because we aren't all doing the same things. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul is talking about a healthy church. What makes a church great? And he says it's all these differences that come together and make one body and make it work and make it great. But if we're comparing and judging, comparing and judging, comparing and judging, then we're trying to get people to conform and all look the same and be the same and act the same. And that's not what church is. We all have different gifts. We were all made to function differently. A church needs all types. The feature that makes church awesome is the exact reason that comparison is ridiculous. Because we need people who are different than us in order to make church work great. Not everybody needs to do what we're doing. Not everybody needs to think like we think. We were just talking about in class this morning about how in one, in one room people could be discussing this topic and in another room people could be discussing something that's completely different and we're still, even with different ideas and beliefs, we're still one church. We're still one body. We're still one group. Have you ever thought um, about certain jobs, I mentioned this earlier, and thought, wow, I'm glad that job exists and I'm glad I don't do it? I was just trying to think uh, just a few jobs that exist in the world and, and I'm glad I don't do. Um, podiatrist. Right? I'm glad, I'm glad uh, there are people who are podiatrists. I would not want to do it. Like, if you have a podiatrist in your family, I'm not trying to be despairing, disparaging, but like, you, you want to be a foot doctor? That's what you want to... Great. When I have feet problems, I'm going to be glad podiatrists exist, right? When I'm at the state fair and i got to use the restroom, I am so glad that someone has the job of cleaning out the porta-potties. I'm glad for that. Would I want to do it? Mm-mm-mm. No. I would not want to do it. That is not my spiritual gifting. That is not for me. But I'm glad somebody does it. I really am. When you uh, order something off an uh, unnamed two-day delivery service, you know, you're waiting anxiously for it to arrive at your front door, aren't you glad that someone is flying an airplane through the night to get you your little goofy thing that you bought, right? Aren't you glad that somebody did that? Would you want to do that? No. <laughs> no. Nope. That's why I ordered it off the internet, because I didn't want to go get it. I didn't even want to drive a couple blocks to the store where I could get it. I'll wait two days and make somebody bring it to me. Aren't you glad somebody does that? Yes. Do you want to do it? No. What about that with church stuff? When you see the kids head down the hallway for Kingdom Club, aren't you glad that someone else has the gift of handling the children? Does, does that make you a little nervous sometimes? Like if somebody came up and tapped you on the shoulder uh, and said, hey, we're, we have an emergency. We need someone to run Kingdom Club. You'd be like, your heart would drop. You'd be like, ah, sweat. I don't know what to do. Almost every week, not every week, but almost every week, I have this... Uh, habit, and I don't know what's wrong with me, but I have this habit of coming up. I always come up on stage over here. If you're listening online, you have no idea what I'm talking about. I have my notes. I have my Bible. I almost always tap somebody on the shoulder, and I almost always say, like, as I'm coming up, I almost always say, hey, I'm not feeling very well today. Do you think you could deliver my sermon for me? 
you know. It's just, I just want to see that little, that little fraction of a second of terror on their face. Like, like, is he being serious? No, I'm not being serious. I'm fine. You know, I'm just messing with you. I do that all the time. I don't know why. Because I think that some of you are glad someone gets up on stage and speaks. But you're glad it's not you, right? There are things that happen in this church that I could not do. I'm not gifted to do. I don't want to do. But I'm glad that they happen. I'm glad that God gave different people different gifts to make the church work. But here is the deal. One of these things is you. And it may be a thing that other people don't want to do. But one of these things is you. God has gifted you with the ability to do something that is going to benefit the entire church. Not just the church, but the community around us. God has given you that job. And it's a job that maybe nobody else wants to do. But for you, you're like, that's easy. No problem. I can do that. I got that in my sleep. And other of us would be like, no way. Uh, there's no way I want to do it. But one of these jobs is you. We sign up for meal trains. You know, we occasionally try to get a, a bunch of meals for somebody. How many of you are glad that people are being fed and cared for? But how many of you are glad it's not you making those meals, right? You don't want to do that, but boy, am I glad to hear that it's being done. How many of you, when you see somebody in the back hallway with a clipboard, and you're like, uh-oh, they're looking for volunteers, honey, no eye contact. Let's go out this other door here because uh, we don't want to have to walk... How many of you are glad people are volunteering to do stuff, but you're glad it's not you? But here's the thing. What is you? What is you? That's good grammar. <laughs> what is you? What's your job? What has God gifted you that's different than anybody else? And you feel like you... Some, some, oh, man. Ugh, I really want to preach. But you know what? When I really want to preach, sometimes I just sit down so I don't get all worked up. <clears throat> Some of you feel like, I could take it or leave it. I could come to church, not come to church, no biggie. I could be active on a Tuesday, no big deal. It's not a problem. Church has got it. There's plenty of people. Somebody will do it. God has put you here for a purpose. You're like, well, I'm just a visitor. This is the first Sunday I came. <laughs> Too bad, we're signing you up. <laughs> God has put you here for a purpose. When you don't show up, we notice. Because things don't get done. The gifts that you have don't happen. Those things don't happen. And, and church gets along. It, it, it gets along okay, and things work out okay, and it's whatever, it's fine. But somebody's doing something they weren't gifted to do. Somebody's down there working with kids who don't know how to work with kids, and they're just terrified every Sunday. But they're doing it because it's got to get done. But God has gifted somebody to do that. We notice. The church notices because the church doesn't function the way it was intended to function because you're like, eh, somebody will do it. Somebody will do it i got to wrap up. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Prophesying is probably something a little bit closer to preaching, but not just preaching. It's like the gift of somebody being able to boldly proclaim truth, even to people that disagree. There are some people who have that gift. There are some people, as soon as there's any slight disagreement, they're out. I'm done. I can't talk. But there are some people who have the gift of boldly disagreeing about the truth. Aren't you glad those people exist in this church? Yeah. There's some people who have the gift of serving, cleaning, fixing, helping, doing. Some of us are so bad at serving, like if our toilet gets clogged, we're like, okay, honey, it's time to move. Got to get a new house. This one's broken. 
But there are people who fix, clean, serve all the time. They come in here with their tools and they fix something up and you didn't even notice that it was broken because they fixed it so quickly. Teaching, aren't you glad that there's some people who can teach? Some of us uh, can't teach and you hear a great class and you try to tell somebody else about it. You just can't even repeat what that person taught well enough to explain what the class was about. And you're like, you just got to go talk to this person. They explained it so well. Some people have the gift of teaching. Some people have the gift of encouragement. Next slide, Romans 12, 6. If you, some, some of us don't. Some of us see somebody crying and we're like, I don't know what to do. Have you ever walked into a room and you saw two people talking with tears and you're just like, I'm just going to back out, pretend I never was here. Hopefully they didn't see me. Some people see situations like that and they just know exactly what to say, exactly what to do, exactly how to handle that, exactly how to make it better. I got a note during uh, VBS, um, <laughs> and it was one of those projects, a group of kids. So the VBS, we have a bunch of kids in the building, and one of the projects they asked the kids to do was write a note of encouragement. So three or four kids got together, wrote me a note of encouragement. It was very nice. I, I appreciated it very much. They were like, uh, I'll, I'll, like, you're a funny guy, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, this is so sweet. It makes me feel good. I'm so encouraged. Literally, this is true. They misspelled my name on the note. Like, my name isn't even spelled right. And it still was encouraging. Like, they called me Paddock. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I'm still encouraged. They don't know my name, and I'm still encouraged. One of them wrote Stinky Monster on there, too. And that was still encouraging. Some people have the gift of giving. Aren't you glad that there are people who are generous because you're like, man, I don't know how to handle money. It comes and it goes. I don't know where it goes. But I'm glad that there's people who are generous. Some people have the gift of leading. Some people have the gift of showing mercy. Aren't you glad for that? It may not be you, but maybe it is. Let me wrap up by saying these three things. Two of them are going to sound mean to you. One of them is going to sound mean to me, but we got to say them. Number one, not being engaged at church is a bigger deal than you think. Really. It really is. Shrug your shoulders. Somebody will do it. Maybe. But it's a bigger deal than you think. And not just a bigger deal for the church. It's a big deal for, for you than you think. You know, uh, Paul describes the church as a body. And you know when you uh, sprain an ankle or hurt a hand or even just a finger, you know how much that affects all the different things you didn't realize how much that affected? It affects all these different areas of your life. Man, I just cut my fingers. It's just a paper cut, and I can't write anymore, and I can't type, and I can't use a mouse, and you don't realize how, the impact that that small little problem has on your whole body. When someone in church isn't functioning the way God intended, the impact, it's a ripple effect on the church. It's a bigger deal than you think. Secondly, having your spiritual needs met happens more often when you're meeting spiritual needs. I could go on about this all day because this is one of those complaints that drives me nuts. My spiritual needs just, needs just weren't being met. Uh, so who are you serving? Well, nobody. Nobody was serving me. You know what? If you got involved, if you jumped in the deep end, I bet you that wouldn't be a complaint anymore. And I want you to hear this, church. This is kind of important. If you're a visitor here today, sorry, you're hearing some insider stuff, but it's good. If you're saying my spiritual needs aren't being met, that should be a gut check for you to see about what you are doing in your life and how God is using you. Because more often than not, what I've found, there sure are occasions when, you know, there's bad preaching, bad teaching, bad leading, and people's spiritual needs aren't being met. But more often than not, it's because that person isn't engaged in the body of Christ and serving in the way God has called them to serve. I know it sounded mean, right? It's true. Number three, we're going to help you do a better job, or, or excuse me, we're going to do a better job of pointing you in the right direction. 
We as a church haven't done this very well, and this is the thing that's mean. We haven't always done this well. People have said, I want to serve, I want to help. What do I do? Tell me what to do. And we haven't had a good plan or a good path or a good direction to say, well, go talk to this person, go do this. We're just like, here, maybe here, try this or do this. I don't know. We're going to do a better job. That is a promise to you that we as a church are going to do a better job of helping you find a place to engage. We're going to do that. We're going to be talking about that in about 10 weeks. (laughs) I don't want you to wait 10 weeks to get involved, but in about 10 weeks that we're going to be talking about uh, this idea. But listen, listen, like don't sit back and wait for someone to put a shovel in your hands and show you where to dig. Get involved. There's stuff to be done. There's stuff you know you could do. We, we could use your help. We're going to do a better job, but we could use your help. So, um, oh, I, I put a list. You can look at this real quickly. I put a list of stuff you can do. But let me, let me just wrap up this question. You can go to the next slide. Where will you be engaged with all your might for the good of body, for the good of the body? Where are you going to be engaged with all your might for the good of the body? In other words, let me say it this way. What are you doing on a Tuesday? That's what church is about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful to be able to be here, God. And I know some of the stuff we've talked about today is heavy. Uh, I know that there's people who are going to feel defensive and maybe even a little frustrated and upset. Uh, but God, I pray that your spirit would break through all that and you would help us understand that we are one body. We need everybody. We need 